Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we're going to continue our Bible study in the book of Romans. We are not going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, word by word, thought by thought. Uh, we're taking it topic by topic, but tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 4, and I want to talk about something that I've mentioned this some through uh, my teaching and my preaching. Tonight we're actually going to study it. And you'll understand it a whole lot better. Uh, but I want you to, to follow with me, if you will. Uh, Romans chapter 4, look at verse number 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was, I want you to notice the next word counted unto him for righteousness. If you'll underline or mark that word counted. Now to him that worketh is the, is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is, what's the next word? Count. Okay, hang on. What's the next word? Count. There you go. I just want to make sure you're awake. Counted for righteousness. Mark that. Even as David also described the blessedness of man unto whom God, what's the next word? Imputeth, you can mark that word, righteousness without works. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then by upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was, what's the next word? Reckoned, that's not a southern word, it, it, it will come back to it, to Abraham for righteousness. How was it that then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of righteousness of faith, which he uh, had yet being uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. Now, look at me. We'll come back to this in a second here. A lot of words. It sounds like a lot of double talk, but we'll get through it here in a second. The Bible is, is a living book. This book applies to all generations, all people, for all ages. It is not a history book. It records some history, but these are the actual words of God. They are the living words of God, and they're as applicable to us as they were when they were given to Abraham and Noah and other people. These are the very same words of God that we are to live by. Jesus himself said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, that means this. These words apply to every human in every age the same way. They're not to apply to one group of people in this society of people this way. That's why we're not supposed to change the Bible to match society. We're to change society to match the Bible. We're not supposed to bring God down to man. We're supposed to bring man up to God. We're not supposed to change God so that more people will like him. Gag. God said that's being lukewarm, and being lukewarm makes God vomit. 
that's the nicest word I could say. Uh, I have said this often for a reason, but I'm going to say it again. God promised to Abraham, some would call it the Abrahamic covenant. It was a covenant to make Abraham a great nation, not a great religion. I'm missing, there it is. Sorry, missing my walking stick here. Uh, God told Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. He would not be the originator of a great religion. Hebrew is a race. Jew or Judaism is a religion. Two different things. We have gotten to a place, though, where we interchange that word and think that it means the very same thing, and it does not. Now, we are not going to learn the Bible better by studying false religion. Judaism is false religion. The Jews, the Judaist religionists, are the very ones who crucified and hated Jesus. Why do we want to go back and study what they were to try to learn to be a Christian? Doesn't make sense to me, does it to you? Now, <laughs> these are the very ones who rejected Jesus. God told Abraham that he would be the father of a nation, not the originator of a religion. Now, tonight, I want to show you about a doctrine People say, oh, doctrine. No, doctrine's exciting. Hang on. I want to show you about this doctrine of what we would call imputation, not amputation. <laughs> imputation. I-M-P-U-T-A-T-I-O-N. And I believe before the end of the service tonight, some of you are going to even shout glory to God. Amen? God is the ultimate bookkeeper. Now listen to me very carefully. <laughs> Those of you that have businesses or you do secretarial work and deal with books, this will interest you. God is the ultimate in bookkeeping. One day, and I'll mention this later, we will be judged and the Bible says that the books will be opened. He's keeping ledger notes and ledger accounts on everybody's life. Now, we're going to get into that in just a second here. He legally registers every person's life. He keeps track of their debts and their credits with their life. Because we are sinners, none of us can balance our own accounts. We cannot balance our own account because we're all sinners. As it is written, there is None righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short. What's that mean, that term coming short? If you went to a, a bank and you said, I need to take out $100,000, and they said, well, you only got $1.98, you're coming up a little short. Come short of the glory of God. Now, listen to this very carefully. This is where... Uh, when you get saved, there's more than one thing that takes place all at the same time. One of those things is this doctrine of imputation. 
But the moment you get saved, many things start all at one time. Kind of like when a child is conceived. Yes, it's one child, but there's many things that start happening all at one time. Many different systems begin being fired up and begun to where you have a perfect human being being born. Make sense? When you get saved, you are born again. All those systems and all those powers are conceived at the moment of salvation and all those things start sinking together. Now watch this. God gives us salvation to wipe our debt clean. We owe a sin debt. We are sinners. And because we're sinners, we are in debt and we cannot pay that debt on our own. Now listen to me. Our righteousness will not do. You can't work your own way to be righteous. Now I'll, I'll show you this in just a little while. <laughs> we need the righteousness of the sinless one who is Jesus Christ. See, if we could get to heaven by what we do, why did Jesus have to come, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and do the righteousness of God here on earth, and then be crucified, buried, and resurrected? Say, well, he did that for our sins, then how can you get it on your righteousness? If he did it, what you're saying is what he did wasn't good enough. Now, listen to this very carefully. When we get saved, Jesus balances the book and he wipes our debt clean. In other words, he comes the moment we realize we're sinners, we're destitute, we're on our way to hell, we're done trusting our own way to get us there, and we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, he says, hot diggity dog, I'll balance your account. Paid in full. Matter of fact, I'll cover it with the blood and it won't even show that there was a debt. I'll pay today's debt and I'll pay this debt forever. It's got a never-ending account balance of zero. That's what happened when you got saved. So your sin account was brought up to zero and your sin account will stay at zero until the moment you quit sucking air here and you wake up in heaven. That's what salvation does. Now hang on. So, in legal bookkeeping terms, Jesus' righteousness, what he did for us, the gospel and all of his righteousness, counts as our righteousness. And when he applies it to our account, he has reckoned the account. He has brought up the value of ours to where it should be so that we have the wherewithal to continue forward. So his righteousness counts on our account. He reckons that account. Now watch this. I'm about to shout. That means he had to impute his righteousness to our account. He had to take his righteousness 
from his account and put it on our account. He didn't just wipe it clean, he paid for it. It wasn't the government and say, well, we'll just wipe it clean like it wasn't there. No, he said, I'll take actual payment and put on it and it's covered for eternity. Now, it's like when someone who is so far in debt, they cannot get out. They're ready to declare bankruptcy. God then has Jesus not pay one debt. He pays all the debt. He wipes it clean. He reckons your account. And when your credit is checked, it is as though you never had bad credit. He took his righteousness and applied it to your account. So that the legal books say, yeah, there was a debt there, but it's been paid. Don't you worry about it. It doesn't matter. Now, matter of fact, he doesn't even do, he goes a little step farther. Brother Aaron, I'm about to shout. He not only covers that debt, but Brother Scott, he puts Jesus' name on my account. Guess what? That's a well that doesn't run dry. That means that he not only covered my debt, but his name was put on my account. So when the God of heaven, the great bookkeeper, opens the book, he says, Oh, there's Craig Bush, but it's got Jesus' name on there, and he's covering your debt. It's covered. Don't you worry about it. Doesn't matter what Craig Bush did. It matters what Jesus did. He, he, he put surety on your account. It's all covered. Now, our righteousness for salvation is absolutely worthless. We cannot be righteous enough to get saved. How good do you have to be to earn your own salvation? As good as Jesus Christ. And guess what? It ain't going to happen. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Matter of fact, we're beyond bankrupt. We're destitute. Even if you could get to heaven, let me rephrase that. Even if you could get through life with no sin, which you cannot. But if you could get through life with no sin, you still can't get to heaven. Because you have to have righteousness added. Salvation only brings your books up to zero. Being up to zero doesn't mean you can make the payment. It just means you don't have any other debt. You go to buy a house and you say, well, I've got all my bills paid. Okay. How much do you have to put towards your house payment? Nothing. I live paycheck to paycheck. Do you think you're going to get a loan for your house? Just like if you're just making it zero to zero, you're not going to make it to heaven. 
Going without sin only gets you to zero. It doesn't get you to heaven. Because it's by righteousness, not the lack of sin only. It takes no sin and righteousness to take care of all that. Now, that means this. When we get saved, God puts Jesus' name, his face, and his righteous record on my ledger page. This is God imputing his righteousness to my account. And when you get saved, the moment you do, God goes to heaven and says, Ah, they just trusted me. I'll put Jesus' name there. And the debt's covered. They're brought to zero. Matter of fact, hmm, they're a child of God. They're a joint heir with Jesus. And they have all the credibility that Jesus has. I guess they can, they can make it. Not only are the books written clear and free, when Jesus steps in, he doesn't balance the scale. He tips it his direction. I thank God that when I got saved, my, my account wasn't just balanced. It went way into the positive. Now, I must hurry. Number one. Salvation by the gospel does more than just wipe sin away. I've said this a couple times. Having our sin account adjusted back to zero is not enough to get us saved. It just takes us back to where we're out of the hole. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Just back in the chapter before, just a couple verses back, verse number 25. Romans 3, verse 25. Whom God hath sent forth to be the, a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare whose righteousness? His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Oh, it is by the blood of Christ for the remission, the covering of, the taking you back to ground zero. For the, for the remission of sin. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Look at verse number 8. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. That word justified, we talked about it for two weeks. It means that just as if you had never sinned. It brings us back in line. It balances the ledger. It puts us in line with what God needs for us to get to heaven. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. It's about 50, 60 pages to the right there. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse number 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, just about half a dozen pages or so to your right. Colossians chapter 1. Help if I get in the right chapter. I'm in chapter 2. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse number 14. 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice salvation forgives our sin debt. It gives us that ability to be back at ground zero, to have everything maintained at where it needs to be. Now watch this. I'm about to make a couple very, very, very important statements. Salvation also requires righteousness. But not ours. Because our righteousness is tainted by sin. Back to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse we're very familiar with, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. I'm going to read one other verse to you. You need not turn there, but in Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64, verse number 6 says this. But we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God says even all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. What does that term mean? I've used it before. In the days, uh, in these days, they had uh, kind of like you, when you go down the highway, you got mile markers. They would have along the roads every once in a while a post that had a rag there, and people that had uh, leprosy and different diseases and boils and things, they could stop on the road and they could take that rag and wipe the pus and the blood and the the, the grime from the body onto those rags, and they were public rags. And eventually, those rags would be so tainted by all the defilement of human flesh that they would rot off. God says that all of our righteousness is like those filthy rags. <laughs> God said even the good things we do are remind him of those filthy rags. Nasty. Why? Because we're all unclean. We're all sinners. Sin even causes our righteousness to be filthy. Now, salvation comes by Jesus' righteousness, not ours. Turn to Romans chapter 10. I know I taught on this a little bit already, but it applies now again. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, look at verse number 1. Romans chapter 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Saved. Saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's what? Okay, wait a minute. Of God's what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God for Christ is the end of the law of, for righteousness to everyone that believeth now look at me salvation comes not by our righteousness 
but us yielding to the righteousness of God, which is the gospel, and having what Jesus did and his righteousness be added to our account. How much does it take to get saved? 99% faith? No, 100%. You have to say, I cannot get it on my own. I am a sinner because I'm a sinner. There's a penalty on sin, which is death and hell. And Jesus came. He lived my righteousness. He paid my sin debt. He rose as my high priest. He applied the blood to the mercy seat. He did all that I needed for salvation. And I'll trust that to take me to heaven. The moment you do that, you're on your way to heaven. By the way, God didn't say you had to live a certain lifestyle afterwards to be going to heaven. Did you know when a baby's born, you don't know how they're going to turn out? Some of you mamas wish they didn't. Whereas my father said many a time, we brought you in this world, I can take you out. But guess what? He may have taken me out, but I still would have been his. It didn't change that I was a human being. Didn't change whose I was. And the moment someone gets saved, they're saved forever. Because it's not their righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we have no right to judge somebody's salvation. Well, they say they did it, but by how they lived, I don't know. Quit playing God. Who made you God? I could show you places in the Bible you'd wonder if some of your heroes in the Bible were ever saved. Moses was a murderer. David committed adultery and murder as a Christian. Everybody doing okay? Did you know all of the disciples, the 11, after Judas hung himself, all quit the ministry and ran? And Peter, the spokesperson, was cussing. Huh. wonder if during that time, and he denied Jesus three times. Why, well, the way he's living, I'm not sure he's even saved. Okay, 50 days later, he preached Pentecost, Pharisee. Who are we to judge what somebody else did? <laughs> we have no right to do that. We're not God. Quit judging. You got enough on your own plate. Fix yourself. Everybody doing all right? Okay. I'll quit meddling and go back to preaching. Uh, go to Galatians chapter 2. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Told you I was excited. Galatians chapter 2. I'm not going to be here on Sunday, so I'm going to give you both barrels tonight. Amen. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse number 16. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. 
Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. I didn't say it, God did. If we could get saved by what we do, then what Jesus did was in vain or worthless. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse number 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted. Notice that word accounted. We read in Romans that it was counted. Then you see the word accounted. These are bookkeeping terms. To him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Uh-oh, look at me. Notice the gospel being preached to Abraham. Watch this. That's 500 plus years before Moses and what some people call the law. God uses these people on purpose. In Romans chapter 4, we read about Abraham and the circumcision, the uncircumcision. God made Abraham the father of a nation, not a religion. And that was given to Abraham. The gospel was given to Abraham 500 plus years before there ever was a tabernacle in the wilderness. Verse number 12. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The blessing of Abraham might come on the who? Oh, it didn't say through the Hebrews. The Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, hang on. Whew, i got to hurry. Thank God at salvation, our sin debt is settled and it's covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But that alone does not save us. God adds the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He imputes it to our account so that we have eternal salvation. Now, listen to this very carefully. Number two, God imputes Jesus' righteousness on every believer's account. The word impute literally means to assign a value. The value of one placed upon another as their own. The word impute literally means that you take what is yours, 
put it on someone else's, and it is theirs. When my wife and I were working for Brother Hiles in Indiana, we hadn't been there six, seven months, and he said, Craig, you and Debbie need to buy a house. I couldn't find enough coins in the car seat to hardly get gas money, and he wants me to buy a house. We had been through all kinds of things. We had lost about $10,000 on the move from South Carolina there and all kinds of crazy things going on. And it was, I'm thinking, yeah, right. He said, I want you to go to the bank and get (laughs) pre-approved. So I did. I don't know how. He was looking for a house. He said, go look for a house. I was looking for houses. He said, I'm not letting one of my men live in that neighborhood. I said, well, that's about all I think I can afford. He said, I can do better than that. Saturday night, I had a staff meeting. He pulls me aside. He said, Craig, see me afterwards. I said, yes, sir. He said, Beverly and I were out on our date last night. He said, we saw this cute little house in South Hammond. I want you to go by. Here's the address. He said, go by and see it on your way home. See if you can get in it tomorrow and talk to me tomorrow night before church. I drove by it on the way home. I thought, does he realize Mayor lives three blocks away from there. You're right. There ain't no way I'm going to be able to afford this. We looked it up. I showed it to my, I found the paper in the thing. That was before cell phones were and internet junk and all that kind of stuff. We did have cell phones, but they were about that big, you know. Uh, I showed her and she said, do you think? I said, there ain't no way. So we drove by it on the way to church Sunday morning. She saw it, fell in love with the neighborhood, and I thought, oh, Lord. (laughs) I said, but honey, there ain't, she said, just do what preacher said. I had called the realtor. I couldn't get in till the next day. He saw me after church Sunday morning. Did you? I said, I'm still trying to get a hold of the realtor. He said, okay, see me tonight. He was all excited. Saw him before church. Did you get? I said, no, I can't get in until tomorrow. All right. You go there. You meet with the realtor. And then I'm, I'll, I'll be in such and such town. I'll be uh, flying out tomorrow. But I'll call back to the office. When I call back, uh, tell, tell Miss McKinney what you found out and, and stay by the phone. I, okay. So we went, saw it that morning. Of course, she loved it. I'm sitting in my office working and Miss McKinney beeps in. She said, Brother Bush, Brother Howe's on the phone. Can you talk to him? Yes. <laughs> I waited a few seconds. Craig, this is Brother Isles. Yes, sir. He said, did you get to see that house? I said, yes, sir. He said, what would you think? I said, it's, it's incredible. He said, what would your wife think? I said, she loves it. He said, now, I need you to tell me the truth, not because I like it, but I want you know, you and I, we can live anywhere, but you, your wife really neat. I said, she loves it, preacher. He said, okay, I want you to call this realtor. There happened to be a realtor in the church that I knew and that he knew. And he said, I want you to tell her that I said this is how much you ought to offer for it. And then you take any counter offer. I'm thinking, I can't afford that. I don't have any money to put down on this house. I mean, nada. And we're talking back in the 90s. You didn't get a house without putting something down. He said, oh, by the way, he said, I want you to go down to Miss McKinney's office. She has a $5,000 check for you. Uh, It's out of my personal account. I want you to put that into your bank account so that you have money put down on that house. 
He said, you go home and tell your wife that my wife and I love you and your wife and your family, and you go buy that house. We bought the house. Can I tell you something? That's kind of like what God does. He takes money from his account and puts it on yours and says, here you go. God takes his righteousness and puts it on your account. And he says, now you can do it. You see, imputed righteousness is part of the package deal when you get saved. When, you, when I went and bought my, my truck, I didn't just buy the truck body and tires. And then have to pay for the engine separate and pay for the transmission separate. And No, there was a package deal. And you get the package. When you get saved, there's a package deal that comes with it. And imputation is part of the package. Now, when we get saved, God puts Jesus' account of righteousness on our account. That reckons our account. We read in Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, all the way back to Romans chapter 4. And he, God talks about it being reckoned. It's brought up to level and it's got an ever-ending balance on it that no matter how far in debt you go, it's covered and his righteousness will cover it. Whew. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse number 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we shall also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Not only were we paid for, but we were reckoned and were received as one of his own children. There's so many more verses, I can't go there because i got to finish and i got one whole more point here. Hang on. God putting Jesus' righteousness on our account, he puts Jesus' righteousness on our account so that it counts as our righteousness. His imputation then reckons our account and takes us into the positive integers eternally. It has, by the way, righteousness has to come from somebody who has the ability to pay the debt. (laughs) Somebody that has a zero balance can't put righteousness on your account. Somebody who is bankrupt or destitute can't pay your account. Number, Number next, and I'm done. I'll hurry quickly through this. Our good works, listen to this, after salvation, our righteousness after salvation, earns us rewards and rank, but they don't count towards our eternal salvation. Our righteousness after we get saved is what earns us our rewards and our rank in heaven. See... All of our sins are washed at salvation, past, present, and future. Our righteousness earns us relationship. Our righteousness earns us a relationship with God, 
and in that relationship with God and our service to him, we start earning things for eternity. Now watch this. This is when at the marriage feast of the Lamb, at the judgment seat of Christ, where those who are saved are judged, God talks about those things that will burn wood, hay, and stubble. Those are the things we did in the flesh for ourselves, not for him. It doesn't say that we lose our salvation, but we won't get rewarded for it because we did it for reward down here. It's kind of like a guy I knew that helped build a building, paid for it. I went to that church. He said, now I want to show you something. See this building right here? I said, yep. He said, I built that. I paid for that. He said, don't tell anybody. It's amazing to me that everybody in the church knew he paid for it. <laughs> Can I tell you something? He got his reward. Him telling everybody about it, he didn't get as much credit for it as he would if he'd have just done it. Make sense? Uh, he, he did things and said, ah, that was me. That's reward that you will lose in heaven because you're getting the applause of man and the attention of man and you want everybody to notice you here instead of doing it to serve God not caring who gets the credit now in other words you can't lose being a child I can't stop being my father's son now, there were days he wished I could have. Shut up. <laughs> there were days he wanted to make sure. Uh, <laughs> and there was days he said, I think you were adopted. But uh, <laughs> now, listen to me. The prodigal son wasted his substance. But did he lose being a son to his father? Not at all. He lost his wealth and his reward. He never lost the fact that he was his father's son. And his father took care of him, fed him, made sure he had clothes on, gave him a job. And he had to work for his brother. That was hell on earth. Now, one more set of verses and I'm, I'm done. Look at Romans chapter 4 again, verse number 21. And being fully persuaded that which he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness, speaking of Abraham. Now, it was written, not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Notice when we went through Romans chapter 4, verses uh, 9, 10, 11, and 12, it started talking about the circumcision, the uncircumcision, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Circumcision was the Jews, the uncircumcision was the Gentile. And God was saying, I don't care who it's for, it's for everybody. It doesn't matter whether it's Jew or not. Religious doesn't matter. Race does not matter. It is for everybody, for Abraham's time, and for our time right now. One more verse, 
two more, actually, two verses together, Romans 10. We read these verses often while soul winning, but we've passed right by it. Romans chapter 10, look at verse number 11. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice God then gets specific and said, Jews, it's not for you only. When we did our study in Acts, I told you the Jews were a real tight click. And if you weren't part of the Jewish uh, religion, then you were nobody. And they didn't even think you could even get saved. They got mad at Peter for preaching to a bunch of Gentile people. Well, they can't get saved. They don't do what we do. He said, well, they were filled with the same Holy Spirit you're filled with. Now what are you going to do with that? This is why the Bible is not just for the Jews. It is for all people. It is not based on Judaism. The Bible is for you and me, and it is as applicable to you and me as it was the day it was given. We sing a song in our church from time to time. There was a time on earth when in the book of heaven, an old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top and many things below. I went in unto the keeper and I settled it long ago. That old account was settled long ago. What does that word settled mean? <laughs> when we got saved, the books were balanced. But God also imputed righteousness and gave us a never-ending balance on that thing for eternity. When in that happy home, my Savior's home above, I'll sing redemption's story and praise him for his love. I'll not forget that book with pages white as snow because I came and settled and settled it long ago. When we get saved, God imputes his righteousness to us. You don't just get forgiven. Your sins aren't just washed away. But he also imputes his righteousness to your account. Not your righteousness, but his righteousness. Our righteousness is what earns us things for heaven. Rank for heaven. The, during the kingdom and the millennium, how, how much area we will rule and reign with him down here. Those, that's where we'll get our crown that's where we'll earn our, by the way, I taught a whole sermon on that one, le one night about those crowns. That's like a, uh, that's for leadership. A crown is, is, is a symbol of leadership and we are the ones who will come back and rule and reign with him and our crown will have our rank on it. Just like a military person's uniform. Wow. How do we get that? By what we do as Christians, not to be a Christian, after we're saved. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I went over a few minutes. You can forgive Brother Josh later. Thank God for God imputing his righteousness. Maybe we just ought to decide, A, if we're not saved, we need to get saved. B, if we're saved, maybe we ought to be, get busy and thank him for our righteousness that we didn't get to get to heaven, but that we can do afterwards to earn us rewards. May we be excited about our salvation.